today we are starting a new series of messages and we're going to spend several weeks talking about the life of David. And even if you only know a little bit about the Bible, you probably know a little bit about the life of David. I mean, you probably have heard of David and Goliath, the giant, and you've probably heard of David and Bathsheba. And the Bible has a lot to say about David. I mean, uh, he is talked about in 66 chapters in the Old Testament, and he has mentioned, his name is mentioned 59 times in the New Testament. And he is the author of many of the 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms. And here's kind of a rundown on what this series is going to look like. Today, we're going to talk about letting God prepare you. And then next weekend, we'll talk about facing the giants in your life. And then the weekend after that, we will talk about surviving a bad leader. And then on the last weekend of January, we'll talk about dealing with temptation and sin. And then on Super Bowl weekend, um, when the Steelers will be playing, we will um, be talking about being a loyal friend. And then February 11th and 12th, we'll talk about worship and worshiping with abandon. And then on the 18th and 19th of February, we'll talk about overcoming disappointment and then we'll finish the series by talking about letting go of past hurts. And as you can see from those titles, the life of David really is relevant to us. It deals with many of the things that we deal with on a continual basis. And so for this study, let me make a couple of suggestions to you. First of all, bring your Bible much of the scripture that uh, we will be talking about will be shared by telling the story rather than reading the passage. And you may want your Bible opened to review some of the scriptures that won't be printed in uh, your notes. And Bibles are also available at the doorways if you don't have one. And if you don't have one, just pick one up and take it with you and it's our gift to you. But um, we also want you to study at home. At the end of uh, each set of message notes, we plan to include scriptures and questions for additional study uh, on that week's message and also some scripture for you to read in preparation for the following week's message. So as we begin this eight-week series, let's pray together right now, shall we? Would you just pray something like this in your own words, silently say, Lord, speak to me through this series. Would you say, Lord, open my heart to what you want to teach me? Father, we want a heart for Jesus. We want to uh, develop a heart for you. And so, would you use the life of David to draw us closer to you, to open us to what you want to say and what you want to do in our life? For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of my favorite preachers used to tell the story of a man who decided that he wanted a pet. And so he went into the pet store and he settled upon a bird. And he really wanted this bird because the bird would talk. So he bought this talking bird, he took it home, and about a week later he went back to the pet store and he said, the bird's not talking. 
And so the pet uh, shop owner said, um, well, you did buy a mirror, right? The bird needs a mirror in his cage. He'll see, the, uh, see himself in the mirror and he'll start talking to the other bird. And um, so the guy bought a mirror and he went home, came back and said, bird's still not talking. The pet store owner said, well, you did buy a bell, didn't you? The guy said, no, a bell, yeah, the, you know, the bird will hear the bell ring and then he'll start talking. So the guy bought a bell. And then um, the bird still didn't talk, so he came back and the pet store owner said, well, you bought a ladder, right? The bird needs a little ladder in the cage to climb up and down, get some exercise, and then he'll talk. So the guy bought a ladder. Bird still didn't talk. Guy came back, pet store owner said, well, how about a bathtub? Did you buy a bathtub? You know, the bird really needs a bathtub to take a bath. And the guy bought a bathtub. And it had been a couple of weeks, and the pet store owner was out front sweeping, and he sees this guy walking by, and he says, hey, how's the bird? The guy said, oh, the bird died. Pet store owner said, I am so sorry. The guy said, yeah, but he talked just before he died. The bird talked just before he died? What did he, what did he say? And the guy said, the bird said, do they sell any bird seed at that pet store? <laughs> well, obviously, this guy was not prepared to own a bird or a pet of any kind. Now, we are about a week into the new year, and you made some resolutions, and I don't know if you were prepared to keep them. Have you kept them so far? I have kept mine. I have successfully avoided country music concerts all week long. I have not had any broccoli, and I've not done any bungee jumping, so I'm good. I've kept mine so far. But seriously, today's message is about letting God prepare you. And David's life can show us a process that God will use to prepare us. But as we begin, I need to give you a little background as we start this series. The nation of Israel had always been led by God himself. It was not a democracy. It was not a republic. It was better than that. It was a theocracy, meaning God himself was the ruler. God himself was in charge. But the people looked around and they saw that other countries had human leaders. The other countries had kings. And so they began to whine a little bit. And they said they wanted a king. And God uh, kept telling them they would not like it if they had a king. But they kept asking for a king. And God was offended by their request because he kept saying to them, I am your king. I'm your leader. Why do you want another king? But he was offended by their request, but he eventually gave in. And a man named Saul was appointed to be their king. And at first, Saul was a good king, and he followed God completely. And then Saul started cutting corners. He started cutting corners. God gave him instructions on how to run the kingdom, and Saul would obey most of what God had told him to do. He would obey most of God's instructions. But you know, there's a word for partial obedience, and that word is disobedience. Partial obedience is really disobedience. And so because of Saul's disobedience, God decided to take the kingdom away from him. And God sends this message to Saul 
through a prophet named Samuel. Look at this passage from 1 Samuel 13. This is what the message God sent to him. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Samuel had carried the message from God to Saul that Saul would lose his kingdom. But Samuel apparently really liked Saul and he was personally grieving over uh, Saul's punishment. And in the first part of 1 Samuel chapter 16, God says, Samuel, it's time to quit mourning for Saul, and it's time to start finding the next king. And so Saul, or God sends Samuel to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem. And he went there looking for a king. And he has this image in his mind of what a king should look like. And from our standpoint, that seems completely logical. Write this down. We choose those who look the part. We choose those who look the part. We want our leaders and our celebrities to look a certain way. We have certain images of what different people in different jobs should look like. Flight attendants and pastors and librarians and athletes. And we recently finished a very contentious presidential campaign and we're about to inaugurate a new president. And the fact that we choose people that look the part is a big factor in presidential politics. Did you know since 1904, we have elected the tallest candidate in all but five elections for president? And that is about 85% of the time. And of the times we've elected the shorter of the two candidates, three out of five times, we stuck with an incumbent over making a change. Here's another interesting fact. In our history, we have had bald presidents for only 23 years in our entire history as a country. In the history of our country, only five times have we elected bald men to the presidency. And the last one was Eisenhower, who, believe it or not, had more hair than his opponent. Now, President Ford was balding, but he was appointed, not elected, and when he ran for president, he lost to the shorter man with more hair, Jimmy Carter. Now, based on both of those facts, I'm not going to waste my time running for president. <laughs> it's nothing new. We choose people who look the part. We choose people who look the part. So Samuel arrives looking for a king, and he sees Jesse's oldest son, and he thinks he has found his man. Look at this passage from 1 Samuel 16. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, this shouldn't have been a surprise to Samuel. 
because Samuel had told Saul that God had said that he would be replaced by someone after God's own heart. So when Saul starts, or when Samuel starts looking at the sons of Jesse, and he starts looking uh, for a king, he looks for those that look the part. But God reminds him, you look at the outside of a man, but I'm looking at the heart of a man. So let's go on with the story. Samuel looks at six sons of Jesse, and God keeps saying, that's not the one. That's not the one. And so finally, Samuel asks, is this all the sons you have? And Jesse says, well, I have one more, but he's just a kid, and he's out in the fields tending the sheep. And Samuel sits down and says, I'll wait. And so they go out to the field, and they get David, and some scholars say that David would have been about 10 years old at the time, and he's dirty from being in the fields and watching sheep, and probably when he arrived at the house, he was out of breath from running to meet Samuel. And when Samuel sees him, God says, that's the one. That's the one. God says his look might not be right, but his heart is. Write this down. God chooses those who have the heart. We choose those that look the part, but God chooses those who have the heart. Don't miss the significance of this. God isn't looking for people who can act impressive or look spiritual. He's looking for what's going on inside your heart. And David is worth studying because he has a heart for God. As we will see, he wasn't perfect by any means. In fact, he committed several sins that many of us have never committed and that we would tend to think are sins that are far worse than what we struggle with. And when you hear about the sins of David, you will wonder, how can God continue to bless him? How come God took away Saul's kingdom but kept David's dynasty? There's one simple answer. David has a heart for God, and Saul didn't. David had a heart for God and Saul didn't. And this is significant to us because it tells us exactly what God wants from us. It's not perfect behavior. It's a perfect heart. You see, when I sin, God knows my heart. He knows my struggles. He knows my sins. Even when I think I have them well hidden, he knows my sin. He knows when I fail. He knows when I purposely rebel and choose to do the things that he would not want me to do, things that I know are sin. But he also knows that in my heart of hearts, I want to live for him, and I want to follow him fully, and I want to get rid of the sin in my life. God looks past our behavior, and he sees our heart. So our heart is really more important than our behavior. And our whole purpose in studying David's life will be to help all of us do some heart work. For all of us to do some heart work. We'll be seeking ways that we can gain a real heart for God. So let's, let's go on with our story a little bit. David comes in and God says this is the one. And then Samuel gets up and immediately anoints him to be the king. And then Samuel goes home. What must have been going on in Jesse's household that day? I mean, David has been anointed the next king of Israel. 
And the only problem is, Israel already has a king. Saul is still sitting on the throne. Saul is still the king of Israel. And so they must have been sitting around wondering what they're supposed to do. I mean, should they put together an army? Should they rebel against Saul and overthrow his kingdom? Or maybe they should just try to reason with Saul. You know, go knock on the palace door and say, Saul, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're out and I'm in. That wouldn't have gone over very well at all. It appears what David decided to do was wait for God to give him more direction, for, to wait for God to give him more instruction in the situation. And looking at the story of David, what we find is that God used the next several years to teach David many things about being king. He spent years preparing David. In fact, he sent David to several prep schools, schools that might seem familiar to you if you're trying to let God prepare you. Let's look at God's prep schools, okay? The first is the school of solitude. One of the prep schools God uses in the life of David was the time that he spent alone in the fields watching the sheep. As we said at Christmas time, this was not a glamorous job. In fact, if they kept the job of being shepherd in the family rather than hiring someone else to do it, it usually got passed down to the youngest child, which is why David was in the field when Samuel arrived. It, it was a lonely job and it was very boring. I mean, you sat around for hours and days just watching sheep. If they got into a dangerous situation, you'd go do something to protect them. And if they got lost, you'd go find them. And if they got hurt, you would take care of their wounds. But it was really boring. It was really lonely. But all of this helped prepare David to be king. Look at what Psalm 78 says. He chose David his servant and he took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep he brought him to be the shepherd of his people Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. And so David is learning in this time, of alone, uh, this time alone. And uh, this time alone is when David developed a heart for God. And we tend to try to avoid solitude. Most of us would rather be with other people than to spend time alone, yet that solitude helped David and his relationship with God. Many of the Psalms uh, that we read were written by David while he was out there alone in the field taking care of sheep. He used that time uh, alone to spend with God. Our world is just too loud most of the time. It's just too busy, and we need to spend some time in quiet solitude if we're really going to develop a heart for God. How long has it been since you really spent some unhurried quiet time with God? God will use solitude to prepare your heart for what he wants you to do also. And the solitude doesn't have to involve going off into the mountains or the desert for a week or a month by yourself. It can be as simple as just shutting off the car radio when 
you're driving in your car alone and spending time with God or shutting off the television set and all of your devices for an hour and spending some time alone with God. The school of solitude is a powerful tool God uses to prepare us if we will let him. God also used the school of submission to prepare David. While David was home trying to figure out what it means that he has been anointed king, but Saul is still sitting on the throne, things are happening for, with King Saul also. The passage says that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and it was replaced with an evil spirit that tormented him. Basically, Saul started to go crazy. And while he was going crazy, one of his servants thought that some music would help. I mean, some music would help and because music can soothe and it can calm unless it's country music and then it doesn't soothe and calm. But the servant suggested that they should find someone who could play an instrument and sing for King Saul. And another servant remembered a young boy, a son of Jesse, who played the harp and he's fine looking and he's brave and Oh, yes, the Lord is with him. Look at this passage from uh, verses 19 through 21 of 1 Samuel 16. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much. And David became one of his armor bearers. Now here's the point. I want you to notice first where David is when Saul sends for him. He's tending sheep again. How does that even happen? I mean, David has been anointed to be the next king. How does he not say, there is no way I'm going out there and tending sheep? When they say to him, get back out in the field, young man, how does he not say, no way, I'm the next king. I'm not going to be a shepherd anymore. Well, the answer to how that happens is he's been in God's school of submission. And even though he has been anointed king, he knew that God wanted him to submit to his father. And his father told him to go out and tend the sheep. So he's out tending sheep. And then to add insult to injury, he gets called to play music for the king that he's going to replace. And what does he do? He submits to the king just like he submitted to his father. And in a few weeks, we will see that that wasn't an easy or a safe task. But David submitted even when he didn't understand. And there's a lesson that we need to learn. I think this is a real problem for many people. I mean, if we don't like a person in authority or we don't agree with some of the decisions our leaders make, we think it's okay to not submit. Sometimes if we disagree with the leaders or the laws or the policies, we begin to think that we're justified to do what we think is best rather than what our leaders say. And we see this in the way that People obey the laws of our land, especially speed laws, and in the way that people talk about political leaders that they don't fully agree with. 
And we even see this in church when people don't understand or agree with some of our policies or decisions. In America, we don't like authority. We just don't like authority and we don't do well submitting to it. And more and more, I am coming to understand all of us are people under authority. All of us are called to submit to someone. And here's the quiet truth of following after God. Here's the quiet truth. It's not in your notes, but you should write it down. We will never really gain a heart for God until we learn to submit. We will never really gain a heart for God until we learn to submit. And the reason for that is God knows we won't submit to him until we learn to submit to the authority that he has placed above us. The school of submission is a big school if we want a heart for God. David also attends the school of service. Look at these verses, verses 22 and 23 of 1 Samuel 16. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service for I am pleased with him. Whenever the spirit, that would be the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. Now, don't miss who it is that David is serving here. He is serving King Saul, who is absolutely deranged. He's absolutely insane. And David learned much of what he knew about God, much of what he knew about life and leadership, and about being king and a man after God's own heart by submitting to and by serving a mentally ill, abusive king who God had already appointed him to replace. Now, I'm not going to say a lot here because we talked about serving last week, but one of the schools God wants to send you and I to is the school of serving. And it won't always be fun, and you won't always get pats on the back and appreciation, but God has some things to teach us that we won't learn until we start serving him. And I know you probably think, I'm just trying to get more people to volunteer around here, but I really think that we gain a heart for God by serving him. I think we are never more like Jesus than when we're putting our own needs and our own desires aside and giving ourselves fully to God by volunteering, by helping the people that he loves. One more school that we should talk about is the school of staying, the school of staying. If my study is correct, this preparation process wasn't a short one for David. It would be about 40 years from when David anointed, or when Samuel anointed David to be king, 40 years between him being anointed and him actually beginning to reign as king. So if you feel like God has been making you wait a long time for something, let that sink in for a minute. Just let that sink in for a minute. If I'm right, and he was about 10 when he was anointed, he was about 50 when he actually became king. Now, how patient are you while you're waiting? I'm not patient at all. I am not patient at all. Imagine it. You're promised a job, but you have to wait 40 years watching someone else mess it up before you get the job. So how did David do in this process? 
Well, it was frustrating to him sometimes. Look at what he wrote in these verses from uh, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Have you ever felt that way while waiting for God to show up and do something in your life? I have many times. And so David does a little complaining about waiting in several places in the psalm. But it had to be hard. It had to be confusing. He's waiting to become king. He's been anointed king, and he probably saw several things happen in those 40 years that he thought were God beginning to keep his promise. I mean, even when he went to play music for the king, he must have thought that maybe this is God's way of convincing Saul to turn over the kingdom to me, but it didn't happen. And he was disappointed again and again. And if you felt that way, if you've been disappointed uh, for years, it's a difficult thing. I mean, if you've been waiting for God to show up and fix your marriage, or you've been waiting for God to show up and help heal that addiction, or to give you that job that you need to pay the bills, or you've been waiting for him to send the right person for you to marry. How do you wait when you're in those situations? How do you wait? Well, David complained a little, but ultimately, he learned to trust God. Look at what it says a few verses later in Psalm 13. But I trust in your unfailing love, my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. He has been good to me. Right after saying, how long will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? He says, I will sing praises to God because he has been good to me. Right in the midst of difficulty, he says, God has been good to me. You see, he trusted God because he had given his heart to God. And God saw his heart, and God honored David as a result. God promises David that his kingdom will last forever, and that God would never take it away as he had taken away the kingdom of Saul. And what this teaches us is we should never quit trusting God. We need to hang in there. We need to continue to follow God even when we don't see him actively answering our prayers and doing what we think is best. The school of perseverance, the school of staying is one of the most frustrating, but it teaches us that God is faithful when we give our heart to him and when we don't quit. One of my favorite scriptures is found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. I like it in the living paraphrase. It says, and let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we don't get discouraged and give up. So before we're done today, let me ask you to take just a minute and reflect on this. Would you ask yourself, where is God trying to prepare me right now? Where is God trying to prepare you right now? What school are you in or... What school should you be in? I mean, maybe the school that you need to be in is a school of solitude. Or maybe he's just trying to teach you to submit to him and to the leaders that he's placed 
above you. Maybe it's the school of service. Or maybe you're in that last school, that school of staying. Wherever God has you, quit fighting it. Whatever God wants to do in your life to prepare you, quit fighting it. Don't get tired of doing what's right. Don't give up. Don't quit. God will give you a harvest of blessings if you don't get discouraged and you don't give up. Let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the fact that you're not looking for perfect behavior from us. You're just looking for a perfect heart. And Father, right now we want to give you our heart. Father, we want you to prepare our heart in whatever way you see fit. Father, if you need us to attend some of these schools, we just pray, Father, that you will help us to see that and to uh, be able and willing to learn the lessons that you're trying to teach us. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful, Father, that you have given to us hope, that you've given to us forgiveness that each day when we fall and when we fail, that you see our failings, but you also see our heart. And so, Father, with all our heart, we turn to you. We ask you, Father, to transform our heart, to make us like Jesus, to give us a heart for you. In Jesus' name, amen.